Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskian. Welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We have our full panel this week, which means Jorna Taylor is with us. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna. Good afternoon. Good, good morning. A- good, good, a- good podcast. Well, we're recording from a time deprivation it's box. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and as always, Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action, is with us, although he joins us via phone. Robert. Good day, everyone. Good to have you, Robert, from Chicago. So we are going to talk a bit about Labor Day. It is Labor Day weekend. Um, however, before we do that, obviously, you know, since we last recorded, the events in Houston are uh, have completely unfolded. And Um, Of course, our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone in Houston and encourage people uh, to do what you can and to give money if you can. Money is something that is extremely helpful and uh, it's an incredibly tragic situation. And obviously, we know that when these things happen, uh, people who can least uh, take on these kinds of situations are the ones most impacted, the poor and folks who can't get away from these situations. So please help out if you can. Uh, and we strongly, uh, strongly, Matt, yes. Let me say something that the mainstream media is not saying enough, and the right is denying climate change and uncontrolled development. Fake so news. This is a tragic situation. We need to help everyone who's affected right now, especially people who don't have the means to, uh, to protect themselves, uh, so lower income folks. But we have to realize that uh, our own human decisions about, about fossil fuel consumption and and also about um, uncontrolled development removing wetlands, which relates back to Foxconn, quite frankly, are all a big part of this story. And this is not just some sort of act of God. This is also a consequence of, of, of irresponsible human behavior. Well, Robert, and just to follow up, it, it absolutely is a response to irresponsible human behavior in many ways, um, even though you and your fake news climate change your denial here. Um, but another really interesting thing happened yesterday that I just want to point out when we're talking about the impact on human lives down in Texas right now. A federal judge issued an injunction on a Texas law that was slated to take place on September 1st. And that law would have basically forbidden Texas to have um, what people call sanctuary cities where um, undocumented residents can go without fear of deportation and persecution from um, federal law enforcement. And so a law that would have forbidden that was, was in the midst of all of this you know, carnage, basically, and wreckage in Texas. There is an injunction on that now. And so hopefully a lot of undocumented Latinx families will seek the aid that they need from local and federal officials to make sure that their families aren't torn apart and that the impact on their lives is mitigated at least a bit. That's a great point, Jorna. And furthermore, another irresponsible human activity is the federal, the Trump budget and the Paul Ryan budget, which of course would make slashing cuts to FEMA, which a whole lot of conservative Texans now think it's a really good idea that we've invested in creating FEMA and that Obama rebuilt FEMA after what the Bush two did uh, and what we saw in Katrina. And so there again, our democracy creating basic infrastructure and protections for people is critical, and you'd much rather have progressive governance once you actually need it, like in a natural, not just a natural disaster, a natural and human-made disaster. 
Well, and I know that we're going to talk about this in a congressional context a little bit more later on in our show, but um, I don't know if everybody has seen the pictures of the Mexico National Guard or yeah. whatever it is, yeah. um, you know, their their version of National Guard coming over to the United States because they can get over here because there's no wall uh, <laughs> to help us, Ooh, you know, and, and to help Texas. I mean, yeah. the irony here is, um, I think, lost among most Republicans, but they're coming to help us when all we're trying to do or, well, not us here in this room, but um, when all our president is trying to do is to keep them out and the benevolence that they're showing is you know they're the bigger country right now <laughs> yeah yeah and hey robert you mentioned uh climate change and uh the other big piece here and without getting into the weeds is you know houston is one of those sort of newer cities that was developed highly unregulated very little urban planning um and you're gonna get this uh when 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 you don't have that kind of democratic governance. So yes, there's there's obviously a lot of lessons to be learned, but certainly at this moment in time, money is def definitely greatly appreciated. You know, the the videos of the people showing up in their boats and all the stuff, it's, it's incredibly moving. Uh, and it does remind us all of our humanity, which is <laughs> in great need at this point, given sort of where our politic is at, at the moment. Yeah, um, Matt, yeah. And Matt, there's been outright denial by a lot of local officials and state officials in Texas that uncontrolled development is a problem, literally, and that there's any any consequence. So, and they have it's pretty much the wild wild west there, but it really is in a lot of other places, and it's going to, it's going to be increasingly in Wisconsin. Uh, but literally, you have to look at interests like the real estate industry that has no nothing it wants to do other than maximize profit and develop as much land as possible and doesn't give a darn because they, they finish, they, they sell their development, they get out, that they've removed all the wetlands and that they've literally created a, a disaster, which is going to be very costly for the people who bought the property but then and, and, and communities and dangerous, but also we, have to, we, the public, end up having to pick up the tab for this with, uh, uh, with the disaster relief. And so this is the kind of irresponsible, private, selfish behavior that we, that we need to stop, both at the federal, state, and at the local level. Well, have you ever been to Houston, Robert? Uh, I'd love to go to Houston. I've only been in the Houston airport, I have to admit. <laughs> One of two, actually. Um, Houston itself has four downtown areas. So clearly when city planners were not around, um, Houston managed to just have this just unimaginable sprawl that was is very clearly not a planned um, development. And you're absolutely right when you say that this is the sort of impact then that we have from a lack of actual city planning and a lack of stewardship of natural resources. Um, you know, another city in the Southwest that is fascinating to be in is Phoenix and their urban sprawl and their sort of, you know, I, I believe it's something and somebody can fact can check me on this. drive like a day it's, to get Yeah, it's like a hundred miles in <laughs> from one side of the city limits to the other. And, you know, so that's all really unplanned impact on all sorts of natural resources that, you know, we're just building, building, building with no actual plan on how this is sustainable for the future. And then when a natural disaster hits, we, we reap what we sow. Yeah, and, and Robert, you mentioned Foxconn earlier and in, in the connect to Foxconn. Raj Shukla, who we've had on around Foxconn, has been talking a lot on Facebook about the impacts and the connect between Houston planning 
and wetlands and all the things that are in play, not only with Foxconn, but certainly the Republicans' efforts to push back and, and potentially use Foxconn as more of a model for what we would do in terms of rolling back our, our standards. Yeah, no, I, and that they're talking about remove, giving them the power to remove wetlands, and they can be replaced but anywhere, outside the watershed, outside the region. So it leads to the same, when you get back to a giant factory and giant compounds, and we already have, we've had flood, flooding, and Governor Walker has declared a, a disaster and wants federal relief for Kenosha and Racine, which is quite ironic, uh, given the situation. Uh, but it, it really is about extraction. In other words, uh, we usually think extraction is just fossil fuel extraction, mining, which we're going to talk about later uh, on the show. Uh, but it's an industry like the real estate industry that just wants to get, get quick profit, develop the land, and then get out and take their money. And so the, the, the repercussion of that selfish behavior without government regulation in the public interest over and over again creates the Houston situation and will create a terrible situation in southeast Wisconsin if you allow Foxconn simply to rewrite our environmental laws for its own short-term benefit. We're actually going to spend some uh, time talking about uh, Labor Day a little bit before, but um, we are going to talk later in the show with Matt Dannenberg from the Wisconsin League of Conservation Voters about some more uh, potential things Walker and the Republicans might be up to around the mining uh, moratorium being lifted. But we'll have that later in the show. With that, though, we're going to get out of here. We'll be back on the other end to talk a little bit more about Labor Day weekend. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And it is Labor Day weekend. And so we wanted to spend a little bit time taking stock in uh, where we are, uh, but also it's a little bit of time to, you know, have fun. And so Labor Day weekend uh, in Wisconsin is means there's a lot of activities. A lot. A lot. And we will have a link on our website to the Wisconsin AFL-CIO's website that has a list of all the different events. But needless to say, there's events in Milwaukee, Racine, Kenosha, Janesville. Janesville has a whole weekend, Jorna. Like, in fact, if you got nothing going on... There's a bounce house. There's, there's face painting, ninjas. Yeah, beer. no. There's beer. Yeah, junior ninjas. Cars. And this is just Saturday, so Mud Sunday. Mud volleyball. <laughs> Mud volleyball, yeah. So Janesville has a whole weekend of events that if you are in the Janesville area, you should check out. Madison has a big event. Lacrosse, Eau Claire, Wisconsin Rapids, Wausau, Green Bay, Nina, Oshkosh, Fond du Lac. So please, it is this weekend is about labor and about workers. And if you can, take your Monday or if you're in Janesville, Saturday or Sunday (laughs) and and spend some time uh, celebrating with your coworkers and actually, uh, I would say, organizing with your coworkers to start talking about how we're going to reverse what currently is a, I mean, incredibly rough rough, rough times. There was an article that came out this week that talked about labor's membership in Wisconsin. Uh, In particular, it was looking at cities across the country where labor's decline has been the starkest over the last year. And Wisconsin has four of those 15 cities. And 
This is not a surprise, right? We've had this incredibly deliberate attack uh, through Act 10 on public employees, and uh, the report did say that this is almost, that is what is accounting for almost all of these losses. In fact, in some cases, the private sector unionism is, is, is actually growing, but uh, Oshkosh and Nina has now had the eighth largest uh, decline of union membership, 39% in the last decade. Wausau was number five. It's lost um, 13,000 union jobs in just the last 10 years. Madison has uh, seen its work, its union workforce halved in the last 10 years. And uh, Janesville Beloit is second, and I think that comes as no surprise. That's bigger than just the public there. We know we lost a lot of private, uh, but there's now only 6% in the uh, workforce or union. So these are obviously very stark numbers uh, and, and not necessarily anything we want to per se focus on, but we wanted to have a conversation today about the future, right? And how do we start to reverse this? How do we start to not only grow labor, but start to actually have an economy and talk about the kind of economy we need that puts working families priorities first, Jorna? Well, Matt, you and I both, when we were younger, I mean, we're still young, let's be honest. With, uh, quite a bit younger, yes. Quite, quite, but quite a bit, quite 20 years or so ago. Um, both were union organizers. I worked yep. for um, the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals in the very early 2000s. Actually, it was 2001, um, organizing nurses and other healthcare workers in southeastern Wisconsin. And, you know, what an eye-opening experience that was for a young recently out of college uh, organizer to, to cut their teeth. And Matt, you know, you were with SEIU for mm -hmm. many years. I spent a number of years with SEIU, but in the 90s organizing nurses, healthcare workers, home care workers, bus drivers, all different kinds of uh, folks around the Midwest. So, so yeah. So, you know, we, we both, and, and Robert, you were with SEIU for a very long time as well. Um, you know, organizing. Trying to leverage how could we use politics to grow and organize workers. I know Robert spent a tremendous amount of time trying to build the labor movement that way. Yeah, so we have this deep history. We do. So I guess my question, as we are looking forward into the movement, um, you know, we have all moved on to non-labor organizing jobs in our career paths. So I guess my question to you first, Matt, and then Robert how how can we as issue organizers and as political organizers be more supportive of the um, sustainability of labor? Robert, why don't I kick that to you? Well, if you think about how labor finally got a stable foothold uh, during the Great Depression, it was decades and decades of organizing before that and some victories, but then not sustainable power. It had to become a social movement where a lot of people who were not part of organized labor obviously were behind it. It was a civil rights movement of its age in many ways. And so there, in order to rebuild labor, which we absolutely need to do, the reason wages are declining in part is because one of the only proven ways to raise wages and to create a big middle class like we did after War II is a vibrant labor movement. It's a private sector way of making sure workers get a fair share. It's also uh, brings democracy to the workplace. Right now we've got split to authoritarian workplaces, so people who believe in democracy, people believe in having a vibrant middle class and expanded opportunity for everyone should should realize that we have to rebuild the labor movement that has to be led by labor that needs tremendous amount of community support. And so everything that, that, that like-minded progressives want to do is 
got to be attached to not only turning around what Walker is doing and repealing Act 10 and repealing uh, so-called right to work, but also creating the conditions where we can give workers the right to form a union. And not just a theoretical right, but the practical right, because polls still show that a vast majority of workers would prefer to have a union. They're just not given a real legitimate option to do so. And the right says they have a technical option to do so, and therefore they have a right to form a union. They full, we know their goal with Act 10 was to dramatically reduce the number of union members and lower wages, and unfortunately, in the short term, they have accomplished that. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think, Jorna, a lot of the community groups and, and folks outside of labor have certainly in recent years definitely been s- s- de- totally involved in the fight around the fight for 15, for example, and and see the importance of how do we start to address the wage floor issues, right? We've talked about the fact that this economy has produced in just shockingly large numbers uh, a lot of jobs that don't pay well in the service industry. And, and I think uh, part of the success of the Fight for 15 movement, you know, obviously in addition to a lot of national support from SEIU, has been community support from other groups who actually see that there is a real problem when you have this massive uh, economy of low-wage work that, I mean, really has very few ladders and um, is where the growing jobs are. So um, I do think you're, you're right that labor, labor needs support from the community. And uh, it is worth pointing out in Milwaukee this Labor Day weekend on uh, Monday, there's going to be an effort to support workers uh, in whether they be fast food workers or uh, healthcare workers, which uh, are also an area where you have a large number of healthcare workers in that industry that are paid at very low wages. Uh, we'll be rallying on Monday to try to, you know, stand up for the right to have a union, and that uh, all these folks ought to be in a union. And that's going to be in Milwaukee at 9 a.m. on uh, 12th and State. I, I believe it'll actually be on around 11th and State, but right around there, uh, outside of Aurora. It's not an action against Aurora, but it is an action to try to really uh, put a put an emphasis on healthcare workers and their uh, role in trying to fight for increased wages. So uh, let's just talk about this this march here for a hot minute because yeah. uh, I would encourage people to come out at 9 o'clock to 12th and State. And the best part is you will get your steps in oh, on yeah. that We're day. Gonna do because some you, you're going to do Because you're going to go from 12th and State, <laughs> then you're going to go down to the Bucks <coughs> Arena, then you're going to go to Zeidler Park, and then you're going to go to the Summer Fest Grounds. At Zeidler Park, you'll meet up with the the regular yep. Labor Day March, which I have done a number of times, both as an organizer and my you know first one was in 2001 um, with the union, but I've also done it with candidates and with other issue groups. And it's really, it's really fun. It's yeah. a really fun day. So um, I would encourage you to Go get your steps in because yes. it's going to be a long walk. Yeah, if you haven't if you haven't been to Labor Fest, it's it's all volunteer run uh, and it's free and it's uh, it, it starts there's at beer. It's, it's, there's lots of alcohol. There's lots of entertainment. There's corn. All there's <laughs> a diverse set of entertainments. It's a diverse set of entertainment at, at Milwaukee Labor Fest. I'll leave that to Labor yourself Fest. down at Labor Fest. Lots of fa- <laughs> fascinating things happen, particularly at the sports arena. <laughs> yes. But um, all that aside, I hope that piques your curiosity. Uh, I you know so. 
it's important that you go. Citizen Action in its organizing cooperative is really trying to organize a lot of folks to come and really support our fellow union members. And look, a lot of folks that are in our organizing cooperative are union members themselves. Um, but yes, we're gonna march. We're gonna go past the Bucks Arena uh, and have a little uh, demonstration there. Uh, to talk about some of the standards that are being applied around the Bucks Arena, but also then go in March down uh, with the rest of labor as uh, we head down to Summerfest. So I hope folks are able to get out and attend that. Um, but yeah, Robert, you know this broader this broader conversation around we have to take a break. Uh, but on the uh, back end of this commercial break, uh, we do want to talk more about what, what we were talking about in terms of the role of labor and looking forward, what's the kind of agenda we need to have in order uh, to get folks engaged, uh, not only in labor, but beyond the labor movement. Uh, so with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. It is Labor Day weekend, and uh, we are talking about Labor Day. And more importantly, we're talking about how, does, how do we rebuild labor and how do we start to have an economic agenda that actually can engage workers and working families. Robert, your thoughts? Well, we should take, obviously, kind of uh, reflect during Labor Day and think about all that the labor movement, uh, which is a big part of the progressive movement, has accomplished and has still accomplished, and there are still uh, strong unions fighting for members and keeping wages up and giving workers a role in the workplace across the state of Wisconsin, despite the tremendous losses that were very cynically plotted by the far right, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, the Bradley Foundation, with Scott Walker as their instrument, the Koch brothers, etc. So we shouldn't just focus on the negative. We should we should focus on, and it's not just people. It's all the people in labor right now, but it's also all of the children, and grandchildren, and great grandchildren of, of of labor workers over the decades in Wisconsin who, because of that, because the family for the first time had a living wage job. Uh, the kids got the grandkids I've got educations right and that the children the grandchildren the great-grandchildren and now we're in the middle class may they even realize may they even under think about that they live in a nice suburb they live in a nice house partly because of the thing the labor movement did for their grandfathers or their great-grandfathers or their fathers or their mothers and their grandmothers so we should reflect on that but then we should realize that the fight is not over that there were huge, tremendous sacrifices used to be murdered in this country for trying to form a labor movement and, and a union. And many people, many martyrs died in the 19th and early 20th century. We need to and, and we need to be aware of that and commemorate what they did, not forget that, but then to have a similar level of commitment. And that means in the 21st century, in a very different economy, you don't have the giant auto plant uh, to target, which is very hard. We didn't know for years how to do it, but finally figured it out during the Depression. Uh, but in new industries like healthcare, like education, uh, like the, all of the, the, the all the kind of the whole service sector and the way it's structured in order to prevent a union, that's why the fight for 15 and the fast food workers movement is so important. We all need to play a part in that. So we may be in the 1880s or the 1890s again in some respects, uh, but we also have all the experience of how it was done before, and we need to reinvent the labor movement together in partnership uh, with uh, with with labor unions that, that, are, that exist 
in Wisconsin and are still still strong for a lot of workers and want to become stronger. And there's such a need for it. There's such a palpable public kind of belief that things are getting worse, that the prospects for people's kids are worse than for their parents for the first time in American history, that there's a real kind of market for this. And it's much more satisfying and much more powerful than the temporary kind of divisiveness and, uh, and racism um, and, uh, of, of Trump and his rancid populism. And so the answer to Trump is something stronger and bolder and more exciting about what would really rebuild opportunity in the middle class for everyone, including people of color who have been left out across the state uh, like we did 100 years ago. And that really is the challenge, I think, that lies ahead as we look into 2018 elections also for candidates to start to actually articulate a vision that will move towards what you're talking about, Robert. But as labor is declining, right, increasingly we have less folks that are in, the, in labor unions and getting sort of labor political education and just sort of economic education. Um, it's going to be very important that political leaders uh, take a leading role in helping articulate something uh, that can reach those folks who aren't in labor in the labor movement anymore, uh, and start to build that vision and uh, of the economy we need to create a 21st century that actually expands opportunity uh, the way the labor movement does. So, folks, please get out and uh, support the, the labor events uh, all weekend long across the state. Again, check our website; uh, we'll have links to all that. Uh, we, I do want to get uh, some thoughts. I, I want to go back a little bit to talk about the federal government, the budget. Is, uh, Congress is going to be coming back from their August break. They've been touring the state, including Glenn Grothman. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But Congress is coming back, and uh, there, there's going to be a number of very important things that are coming up, and the biggest is the budget, right? There, the budget is going to be passed, and it appears, Robert, that there's going to be efforts, right, to basically put the the guts of what is Trump Care, the the latest efforts to repeal the Affordable uh, Care Act, within the budget, uh, and uh, we want to make sure folks are aware and getting prepared to fight back. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Matt. You see, one of the reasons the uh, Republican health care bills, the Senate and the House versions of Trump Care, were so unpopular is they weren't health care bills at all. They were take health care away in order to give huge tax cuts to the wealthy bills. And so the budget is the perfect venue to do this and to take trillions of dollars out of Medicaid and out of the Affordable Care Act and eventually out of Medicare, set up those conditions, uh, so that you literally pull back uh, the commitment of our democratic government to try to guarantee health care to more people. And their vision literally is that they don't think it's the role of government, but they won't say that because it's unpopular because most people think that's the government's role to guarantee everyone get affordable health care no matter what. And so it's a bait and switch uh, in which they're trying to use their current majorities in order to fundamentally, uh, re quite frankly, not only reverse the Affordable Care Act, but reverse all of the gains in health care of the 20th century. And so and there are a whole number of other issue areas where this is the case as well, but it's, it's the most dramatic in health care perhaps because the most money is involved because of the Medicare and Medicaid programs developed in the 1960s and built up over the decades, including by a lot of Republicans like Tommy Thompson on Medicaid and Medicare, um, and then also the attack on the Affordable Care Act. So they are hoping, like they did in health care, Matt, that they can, uh, through a complicated, arcane process, 
um, avoid public scrutiny and notice. It didn't work on health care, but it didn't work on health care because average citizens acted like uh, make democracy work by doing more than voting and getting involved to the level that there was a bright light on everything and, and enough Republicans felt like their political careers would go away if they proceeded. And the same thing has to do in this budget where they will simply ram this stuff through uh, that's as bad or worse than what they were trying to do in the uh, repeal of the Affordable Care Act and the radical restructuring of Medicaid. So I want to let our listeners know our new organizing cooperative, the Healthcare for All Co-op, is going to be working on trying to highlight the budget, in particular these healthcare pieces. So we'll have more on that, and there'll be opportunities if you want to get involved, contacting uh, critical voters who are directly impacted to contact their Congress folks around the budget and healthcare. But we'll have more about that. Uh, Jorna, I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, before, before Congress gets back, right, Glenn Grothman was out and uh, he has some interesting budget uh, uh, requests around Hurricane. I'm sorry, Harvey. It escaped my escaped my mind. I apologize. You're a hot the mess. name, yeah. So his his idea that uh, somehow we have to pay how we're going to pay for Hurricane Harvey. Uh, yeah, I have thoughts from yeah. I have thoughts about our favorite basement dweller. I mean, Congressman from the West Bend area, Glenn Grothman. So, you know, every time somebody rides a crazy train and you're like, oh, they're insane, like they, they say something that is that makes you go, oh, man, I have to agree with you. But the, uh, the good congressman had a town hall, and in it he said that he supports um, relief and, and aid for, nice. for Hurricane Harvey, which is very benevolent of him, um, where President Trump has promised, quote, very rapid action. Um, it'll be the bigly best action ever. It'll, it'll be huge. It'll be the best action because it's Trump's action. Anyway, I digress. But our friend Congressman Grothman has stated that he will vote for it, but we got to go back and visit all of that government bureaucracy and the cuts have to come before he can support... Um, any sort of any sort of relief for folks in Houston or in Texas in general, because it's not just Houston. Uh, he joins a lot of his colleagues in saying that. However, he also then, mm. in like a, a rare moment of um, clarity, <laughs> says that he does think the 9.5 percent increase in military spending for the next year is one of those places that we could look at to make some cuts. So, like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. You have very little faith that the Republicans will actually make cuts in that area, which is like, you know, it's going to come straight out of the it's same It's going to come out of, you know, being impacted most any directly. sort of social services. Yeah. And yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. no. Jerk. Well, look, this is uh, obviously, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to track the budget. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, we'll play a particular focus on healthcare, but there'll be a number of pieces going forward. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, on the back end of our commercial, we're going to switch gears and have a conversation about the mining moratorium, which we mentioned last week. And Matt Dannenberg from WLCV will join us. But uh, we'll, we'll, with that, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And we are going to talk about our environment, and we're very happy to have Matt Dannenberg. He is an organizer with the Wisconsin League of Conservation Voters. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Matt, we had you on because uh, last week we briefly told our listeners that uh, Senator Tiffany... 
uh, from the great Northeast has uh, introduced a bill, which you, uh, we'd like you to tell our listeners a little bit more about that, uh, that would lift the uh, current ban uh, on, on mining, particularly sulfide mines, but I know it's much broader than that. So could you just give us the top lines of you know, what Tiffany's trying to do? Yeah, this is a, a continuation of the, the mining battle we had uh, with the uh, open pit iron mine up in the Pinocchies a few years ago. And now that uh, Senator Tiffany's regrouped from that battle, he's looking to um, actually open up Wisconsin now to sulfide mining. So we're talking gold, zinc, copper, this type of mining that actually is very detrimental to uh, our waters in the United States. So over the last you know couple years, uh, Tiffany's been conferring with um, you know legislators in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan lobbyists behind closed doors the last nine months we've uh we've known that he's going to roll this out since uh the beginning of this session it was just a matter of when he was going to do it so what we what we know about this bill uh the uh, as we're calling it the uh industrial acid mining bill it now has a number senate bill 395 it just was uh made public this week and uh it was referred to the uh senate committee Sporting Heritage Mining and Forestry, um, and they're actually going to be having a uh, hearing right away, uh, which has not been officially announced, but we've heard from a few sources will be on September 7th uh, up in Ladysmith, Wisconsin, uh, sometime in the afternoon following a tour of the uh, closed uh, Flambeau Mine. We're really pushing uh, citizens to, to join uh, us at this hearing and save uh, September 9th on your calendars. Um, you know, this will literally be, literally be one of maybe two of our best opportunities to stop this legislation. This bill is looking to do really is actually roll back and get rid of our prove it first mining law. And the prove it first law was voted um, by wide bipartisan majorities. In 1998, under the Thompson administration, uh, I believe it was actually 29 to 3 in the Senate and 91 to 6 in the State Assembly. And, and basically, what this this law says that is, has been protecting our waterways for the past, you know, almost 20 years, is that uh, the sulfide mining industry needs to prove that they can operate, uh, close, and reclaim a mine without causing pollution to our water resources. And this has really um, been great for Wisconsin waterways, and this is something that we feel uh, continue to be on the books. Robert? So, Matt, what is behind all this? In other words, I assume this isn't just happening naturally. There's just some sort of policy change based on a reanalysis of what makes sense in the 21st century, that someone is pushing this for some reason. So can you talk about that a little? Senator Tiffany's looking to make it easier um, for these mining companies to open up and to be able to, to pollute our water resources. This is um, Senator Tiffany's, you know, been his mission to open up the, the Northwoods to mining. It's his idea of, you know, creating jobs and, and stimulating the economy, economy there. But, you know, as many folks testified, um, folks in the mining industry in northern Minnesota and Michigan when they came to Wisconsin uh, during the iron mining fight is that this is a a very much a boom and bust industry and and actually you know when we're looking at the long-term economic health of the Northwoods 
and why people go there, it's, it's uh, our, our clean, uh, natural water resources. And in his opinion, the Flambeau mine is is actually uh, fits the prove it first model. And, and I uh, fully disagree. The Flambeau mine is, is not an example of something that met our prove it first law. It actually violated the Clean Water Act. And there was a um, court case in 2012 um, that shows that they did pollute Stream C, which is a you know, tributary there, um, they, they still polluted. They also contaminated groundwater in the area with sulfates. Matt, let me just ask you, because I understand Senator Tiffany is the sponsor of this and has a lot of misguided, regressive views on mining and the environment, but is this broader than him? Is it just one bad setter who happens to uh, represent the north, part of the North Woods or is this kind of first a broader philosophy, like you see this with Trump, like we want to go back to legacy industries like coal uh, and, and promise a return to prosperity, and there used to be a lot of mining in Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula, and are there actual companies behind this, like the mining industry, not just one misguided uh, uh, state senator? Yeah, sure. sure. So uh, the, the company that would you know, most benefit is uh, Ocula Resources, A-Q-U-I-L-A, they're really the company that has been actually now for uh, several years been exploring uh, a few of the different uh, potential sites. So, you know, you know, let's talk about how this could have an impact. Um, we have uh, Ocula actually owns uh, two mining deposits with, with sulfide mining uh, capabilities. Uh, the, the Reese deposit in uh, Marathon County, just east of Wausau and nearby some rivers there, and then the uh, Bend deposit in Taylor County, um, So they, uh, which is actually nearby Ladysmith. So we, they'd be looking to you know, continue to sample and explore those and actually mine them. And then uh, finally, the uh, Lynn deposit, which Ocula had tried to sample for a long time, and actually the town of Lynn in Oneida County and the Oneida County Board voted against them pursuing uh, mining in that deposit um, because of the, you know, water resources in the area and the citizens in the area rejecting it. So there's a bigger picture game here. We know that Ocula is also the company behind the Back 40 mine um, just across the Menominee River and the UP, right across from uh, uh, Marinette County. And so, um, you know, there's talk of them looking to site you know, a, a processing facility there. And so I think this is in a, a concerted effort uh, to, you know, hand over our state's resources to this uh, uh, major company. So, Matt, let me, let me ask a question. You mentioned something really important, and that's the, the bigger picture here, right? This isn't just about mining. We're, we're in a time right now in Wisconsin where we are talking about job creation and economic development and the underlying theme here with these things like mining and with Foxconn and with any sort of smart growth and economic development is the environmental impact and particularly up in the north northern part of the state where you're talking about these mines going in these are places that are home to state parks and to our beautiful lakes and streams where 
cities and towns rely on the tourism dollars up there as their own job creation. And so if those sorts of resources go away because a short-sighted group of senators and uh, representatives in our, excuse me, state legislature have, have passed deregulation laws to allow corporations to come in and destroy this natural environment, what sort of economic impact, frankly, do you see it having on the, the northern part of the state and the resources up there? Because people will no longer be able to enjoy our natural resources. You know, looking at Foxconn and, and then kind of talking about the potential, you know, impacts on our, our, our resources and the tourism economy, kind of looking at the, the, in the, in the long term uh, with this project. And, you know, it's hard to speculate exactly, you know, what um, pollution will occur or, um, you know, what will happen um, if, if these mines were to move forward. But what, I, what we can look at is evidence and what the sulfide mining industry has uh, done um, to our, our landscapes across the country. And uh, the EPA estimates that you know, 40% of the headwaters of streams in the western U.S. are contaminated by acid mine drainage from the sulfide mining industry. Uh, we know that copper and sulfide mines are the largest uh, source of liability under EPA's Superfund program. So we can we can look at you know evidence uh, around the country, and that one sulfide mine and one sulfide mining company has not met our prove it first threshold. To look at the impacts that it's having on um, waterways um, when you know sulfide uh, uh, and acid drainage gets into those waterways, it you know decimates you know fish populations, the the wildlife in the area. Um, it makes uh, the water, you know, not drinkable. Um, and, and so, you know, that's definitely something that we're looking more into is, you know, what are the waterways nearby these deposits? Um, what are the, the state parks and, and county parks and, and, and the tourism activities in these areas and, and trying to generate some numbers around that and get a better idea of, of you know, what the potential impact of these can be. You know, we can look at the evidence and history and, uh, you know, try not to repeat that. Well, Matt, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today and educate us a little bit about what's going on. Before you go, could you just let our listeners know if they want to get involved with WLCV and the pushback against this, what they should do? Yeah, definitely. Again, I can't stress enough, this hearing on September 7th in Ladysmith, we're guessing it'll be at the high school um, you know, try to talk to your family, you know, carpool, get up there. We need to, you know, really have a big show of strength to uh, try to slow this thing down and stop this legislation from moving forward. If you'd like to get more involved, we have organizers in, in Green Bay, Eau Claire, Lake Flambeau, and Milwaukee. You can visit conservationvoters.org and get our most current updates and actually get weekly uh, legislative updates when it comes to uh, policy that's moving through the Capitol. I uh, really appreciate the invite to, to join the Battleground podcast, and, and thank you all for what you do at Citizen Action across the state to protect our democracy, our health care, and, uh, and our citizens. Well, Matt, thanks a lot. Thanks for taking the time, and thanks a lot to LCV for, for helping uh, lead on this fight and many, many others. We'll, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. 
Well, we really appreciate Matt Dannenberg joining us today, and uh, obviously want to encourage folks, get involved, help fight this fight. Uh, but we got to get out of here and end uh, this uh, Battleground Wisconsin. And we want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes it happen every week. And of course, we want to thank Matt Dannenberg from WLCV for joining us. Thank you, Jorna. Thank you, Robert. And we'll see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.